Welcome to the Powerlift Podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Boyd-Smith, and I'm here to talk all things beauty and wellness. Do you find the worlds of beauty and wellness intimidating, daunting, or just downright confusing? Well, it doesn't need to be, and together, we can change that narrative. With help from industry-leading experts, my goal is to empower you on your unique beauty and wellness journey. Thank you for listening. Today, I am joined by the co-founder of Ultraviolet, Ava Matthews. Ava's career has been rooted in beauty from the beginning. From Mecca Cosmetica to Napoleon Purdus and Rationale, she's exceptionally well-versed in the industry, which was the perfect launchpad to pioneer the SPF space with Ultraviolet. Together, we discuss how she launched her brand, the Gwyneth Vogue SPF moment that caused waves in the beauty industry, the difference between chemical and physical SPF filters, how Ultraviolet pioneered the shift with SPF as an everyday skincare staple, and advice for young budding entrepreneurs. Thank you so much for joining me today, Ava. I know you are the queen of cocktail making and live a balanced and joyful lifestyle. So I would love to start by asking about your go-to well-being ritual you do every day to prioritize your self-care. Oh, my go-to well-being ritual. Um, I would say most of my day on a great day, like most of my day starting with some sort of exercise, um, whether that's with my trainer or a walk with a friend. Like I'm not necessarily needing to be doing really hardcore stuff every day, but just getting out and about it does help, I think, with the rest of my day. Um, and I also have a lot of vitamins I'm taking. So, again, ideally I'm taking those first thing, otherwise I probably forget. Um, but the most important one is probably like maybe having a bit of time in bed, like to wake up. I'm not very good first thing in the morning. Like I don't jump out of bed. <laughs> um, I'm the same. So it's good, good for me to have that time with my husband um, and kind of like chat about like what, you know, news that's come out in overnight, any emails. So um, I'm not one of those people that is like, oh, I can't touch my phone until 9am. Pro- I probably would be more productive if I did, but um I like to get a head start on my day by kind of seeing if there's any anything's come in overnight that I need to address first thing. So balanced. You're still tuned in, but then you're you still incorporate your active. Yeah, absolutely. And like when I, I'm not getting up at six and exercising at six thirty, I'm like waking up at seven thirty and getting and usually like out the door by eight. So there's like I wake up between seven and seven thirty, and then I out the door between eight and eight thirty to exercise. So most of my day. Like I don't really take any meetings before 10 a.m. So easy into the day. Yeah, that's right. And then so I would love to start by exploring your career before launching Ultraviolet in 2018. I know you worked in beauty, but could you share your roles before launching your brand and what learnings you took away from that time? Um, yes. Yeah, so I started in PR working for um, a like beauty PR agency that specialised and I was working on Mecca and SK2 and Pantene, so some really good brands. I did that for a few years and I moved to New York um, and did some marketing um, and then more marketing uh, like for like lifestyle brands. Uh, and then I moved back to Australia to work for Napoleon Purtis where I did PR and comms strategy for a couple of years and then moved into more of a marketing communications, uh, maybe like brand strategy role, which included a bit of product development. Um, and that was probably the most instrumental, I guess, the first time I started thinking about what it would look like to have my own brand. 
And because I was working on kind of like brand strategy, I really got um, an idea of what product development looked like and kind of what was involved and and more, I guess, strategic than just a plain, um, you know, PR role. Uh, and I got more of, I guess, an oversight across the entire, I guess, marketing arm of a business. And then I moved to Melbourne to work for Mecca Brands and I was a brand manager for their signature line brand. So that was um, kind of probably the mo- the best learning curve for me. You know, I got, I basically was a GM of a brand. I had oversight, um, you know, I, I looked, I was kind of in control of the P&L. I managed all the product development in terms of the, like product development strategy. I really got to understand what, you know, what it took to launch a product from start to finish, um, as well as, you know, being in, in charge of sales, marketing, brand, creative, education, um, stock levels. So obviously we had people in the team to help support on some of those items. Like I wasn't necessarily moving stock around the warehouse or, you know, um, I was working with finance on the P&L and on our budgets, but I did have visibility over and control over my own P&L. So that was probably the best job to have for someone who wanted to start mm. a brand. And that's also where I met my co-founder, Beck. Um, and we had a really great working relationship and kind of idea of ultraviolet was formed. And then in between kind of, I guess, in the process of planning ultraviolet, I got out of Mecca and went to work um, as head of marketing at Rationale Skincare. So, again, like I learned some really amazing things about skin um, there and I guess like the more in-depth overview of the impacts of the sun on skin and you know Richard is a real um really I guess um strong on brand so he was a really great person to learn from in terms of sticking true to what feels right for the brand and honoring that always and then ultraviolet was launched incredible and then so were you working on the brands on the side during that time yeah, so Beck took a job. We both got out of Mecca. Beck took a, took a job where she was GM um, four days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, um, you know, was working on the business one, on one day a week uh, during that time. And then we were obviously getting together a lot outside of work hours and I was doing things on the weekend. And then I quit my job um, and basically got the website ready to launch um I had about three months off between well it wasn't off because I was getting ultraviolet started but um yeah had about three months where I was kind of really foot to the floor getting the website um launched and um getting the product into the right people's hands and yeah so that was and then so you mentioned Richard from Russian knowledge do you have any other specific mentors throughout your career that you have any key sentiments that you still carry with you today that they really instilled into you? Yeah. You know, I worked with an amazing woman at, at um, well, my first boss, Gary, who hired me, he was definitely a mentor and I still speak to him regularly, you know, not so much of a sense check of things, but he was definitely instrumental, you know, earlier in my career. And I, as I said, I still speak to him regularly. And then um, Lucinda at Napoleon and she got me in there and she really helped, um, I guess, give me, or put me in a position that allowed me to work across multiple areas of the business because she knew that that's what I would be good at. So um, both of them are still are really dear friends. I, um, you know, I'll always treasure 
all the, you know, advice they've given me over the years. And I'd say we're probably more friends than mentors now. But, you know, if I was having a crisis, Lucinda would probably be one of the first people I'd call. That's really special to have that relationship. And also that you were able to work across all of those different facets of the business throughout the earlier days of your career, because that's kind of like a little, it's like a mini MBA essentially, because you're working in so many areas of the business. A hundred percent. And, you know, I wish I did. I kind of wish I had a a mentor, like a more, it's just really hard to find. Like, you know, I mean, obviously Bex's not a mentor, but I learn from her all the time and she's a really great business partner in terms of, I don't know who I would get. I probably need to start thinking about that and putting a wish list, like Mm. putting something out into the universe because. Yeah, I think it's really, I find that things generally tend to happen a bit if I put something out into the universe, but I need to think about that. It would be good. It would be great to have a mentor. I saw that you've launched in Space NK and so you're really expanding overseas. And I'm sure throughout those conversations, as the brand grows, you'll meet a lot of different people who really inspire you and have had more years in the industry that you can really yeah. use their expertise. Yeah, 100%. And then so I would love to hear why you you were specifically drawn to SPF. Have you always been really diligent with applying SPF from a young age? No, definitely not. Um, <laughs> I think one of the reasons I was drawn to it is because I hated it um, at first, you know. Like I think, you know, you grew up in Australia. Um, you probably have like you've got beautiful skin. So I'm sure you will probably, it was probably drilled into you to protect it from a young age. But like, you know, as all Australian kids, I reckon or all Australians have at a certain age, probably, you know, from maybe a bit older to me down have, you know, memories of their parents, you know, or like just wanting to get into the sea, but then, or the pool or whatever it was, but your parents making you wait or slathering sunscreen on you and you were covered in sand. And it felt like, you know, so I think they're like the kind of, I guess, emotions and feelings that come to mind when I think about sunscreen at a young age. And I, you know, I think I'm pale. I've got freckles. My mum was really like fastidious about application, sunscreen application. Same. My dad, not so much. Yeah, my dad, not so much, which I think is probably quite common. So when I was with my dad on the weekends, I'd get sunburnt. When I was with my mum, I never would. So it kind of was very much a grudge step, I think, for me. And then when I kind of got to an age where I was, you know, wearing primer and foundation and stuff, I didn't want to wear sunscreen because I thought it would make me break out. So it wasn't wasn't until like, you know, I was in my late, mid to late 20s that I was probably late 20s that I was wearing sunscreen every day. Um, And that's because I, I learned at Mecca the impacts of the sun on your skin and, you know, that it was basically the number one anti-aging product that you can use. So from that perspective, you know, I'm quite vain. I was like, well, shit, I should be using this every day. Why aren't I? But pe- we're not told that. We weren't told that at that point. You know, it was about cancer and what 25-year-old, 15-year-old thinks they're going to get cancer. None. Yes, exactly. And I remember my mum has always worked in cosmetic medicine and dermatology and she always, because I'm so fair, because I have a yeah. Scandinavian background, she would literally lather me in sunscreen whenever I would go to the beach. Yeah. Even when I would go to school, I'd always have to have SPF on. But I think, and now that I'm an adult, I can see the importance of SPF. But during that time, I just yeah. hated it. But I think yeah. with SPF on that note, you the ultraviolet brand has really done such an incredible job in shifting SPF from the banana boat slip slop slap to a luxurious piece yeah. of everyday skincare. Could you share one yeah. of your biggest hurdles that you faced in the first 12 months and how you really did pioneer that shift? 
I mean, look, I think in Australia we're definitely in the forefront of this kind of education of habitual SBF use because we have, you know, such such harsh sun. Um, and I think of all the places in the world, we're probably the most educated. And so from that point of view, and, you know, I did it like I did a lot of that work, to be totally honest. I did a lot of that education work while I was at Mecca. So that started, um, you know, that kind of like, you know, every skin, skin promotion, skincare promotion we had at Mecca, I would be like, we have to include an SBF. It can't just be we talk about SPF at summer. It has to be an all-year-round conversation. And when we're doing a retinol promotion, we need to be talking about sunscreen because we need to be wearing sunscreen every day. So um, it definitely started there. So I think that kind of like obviously Mech is the biggest beauty retailer in Australia. So if they're talking about something, like people are going to listen. So that work did start, you know, probably five years ago when I was at Mecca. And so I didn't have as much work to do as a result when I was at, at Ultraviolet because I'd already been doing it. Um, but obviously, like, there is still a lot of people who don't wear sunscreen every day. Um, so I think for us, like, really positioning the product as a skincare product um, and making it look like skincare and making it feel like skincare, not sunscreen, has been um, instrumental in that kind of conversation and that education because, you know, people don't necessarily think they're putting on sunscreen. I mean, they do. We want it to feel and look like skincare um, from the packaging to the way we talk about it, we want to infuse it with some really beautiful skincare actives. You want to put Kakadu Plum in there, which is a really high source of vitamin C. So, you know, there's a lot of things we've done. Um, and, you know, we even call our product skin screens, combination of skincare and sunscreen. And that's in- very intentional and very deliberate because, and it's funny, you know, looking at how sunscreen is positioned in the UK now that we're there versus in Australia. And in the UK, sunscreen is merchandise or is you know, the category falls under bath and body and then under sunscreen and then in face. Whereas in Australia, you know, we're we're one of the top, we kind of float in and out, but we're between in the top five to 10 skincare brands in Sephora, Australia, New Zealand. So they definitely look at skin as sunscreen as more of a skincare brand. Whereas in, in the UK, we're like sun and tanning, which could be under body, bath and body. Mm. So it, it, there's very different different views and you know the education piece and I said to Beck we will we you know both had this conversation and we were like you know what it's actually going to be really hard it could be really hard in the UK this like and you know we launched right before summer so timing was great but let's see what sales are doing in November because it might be a completely different story whereas in Australia it's not a seasonal purchase obviously like it's not necessarily top of mind for everyone in some in um, winter but we you know as I said we have done the work to show that, you know, you should be wearing sunscreen every day regardless of whether it's, you know, 10 degrees or 35. So there's still work to do, but we're getting there. And I saw Caroline Huron. Is it Caroline Huron? Huron? Caroline Huron. Huron. Yeah, Huron. Yeah, yeah, I saw that she was writing about ultraviolet, which is amazing. And then I think having yeah. people like her speaking about the importance of SPF is really, really important. And oh, she's obviously okay. UK-based, so will really help with that shift. And on that, Mark, could you talk to our listeners about the importance of daily SPF and just how furious you were with Gwyneth Paltrow Vogue appearance using SPF as a highlighter, which uh-huh. Caroline also touched on. And so for anyone that's unaware, oh, yeah, that was she was hilarious. And then so for anyone that's unaware, Gwyneth recently appeared on Vogue showcasing her beauty routine and remarked that she only uses SPF down the bridge of her nose and on her cheekbones like a highlighter. Yeah, so you can imagine there are a lot of pissed off people out there and, you know, Caroline was definitely one of them. I also was one of them. Uh, I also, you know, she did say that it was edited. Let's see. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I mean, that is the worst. And, you know, the onus isn't necessarily on Gwyneth. Like, Vogue shouldn't be printing that stuff. So mm. it's 
both of them. They've got a, they know they've got a platform. They know that they're going to print that and it's going to get a lot of clicks and it's because it's going to cause a lot of outrage. But, um, you know, daily SPF is imperative. Um, you know, every day there's UVA rays, regardless of whether it's zero degrees or 50, you know. So you might not get sunburnt in the middle of winter, but you are going to get UVA damage and that is cumulative. So all of those little days that you think it's not going to matter if you don't apply, uh, it does because UVA damage is uh, responsible for most of the ageing damage on your skin. Um, You might not be, you know, ultimately getting some sort of melanoma cut out of your nose if you don't wear sunscreen in the middle of winter, but you might, you know, you'll probably have fine lines that pop up or pigmentation that you get as a result of not wearing sunscreen every day. And, you know, there's definitely an increase in the number of people who care about skincare and are investing more in their overall skincare routine and doing retinols or peels or, you know, wearing acids every day. So with that, your skin is far more photosensitive. So your skin is like far more, I guess, the damage to this of the sun is is way worse when you're you're kind of you're basically like thinning out your skin when you're wearing those things. So using those products. So you're going to get more sun damage and it's going to be worse if you're not wearing sunscreen. So it it's really important to to use every day. And you know, you might not need to apply twice or three times in the middle of winter. Once in the morning is probably absolutely sufficient. But you know, Australia, the UV um index doesn't often go below three on most days of the year, especially not if you're in you know, Queensland or New South Wales. Um, so, you know, and you don't want to be necessarily thinking about, oh, like, let me check the UV index today. Like, is it going to be over three? Um, so do I need to wear sunscreen? Just make it a habit. Wear it every day. Like, you brush your teeth every day, put your sunscreen on every day. It's kind of, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, and the Gwyneth thing is ridiculous. Like, absolutely ridiculous. You can't use, you know, your sun, unfortunately, we can't control where the sun hits our face. And it's definitely not just going to the high points of your face, um, you're getting sun damage all over. So you just need to apply it all over and not be an idiot. Yes, absolutely. And I think if you are investing money into those vitamin C serums, your retinols and the acids and yep. different exfoliators, you need to – they're a complete waste of money if you're not applying SPF. And they work better with sunscreen. Like you get more, you know, antioxidant protection is, is better when you're using it with sunscreen. Like it's just – you just need to make sure you're safe and covered. Let's talk collagen. When I failed to find a collagen supplement that had purity, sustainability and traceability at the forefront, I teamed up with a dietitian and a dermatologist to create it. Pearl by Powerlive Marine Collagen Super Powders contain wild-caught collagen from Norway, Australian superfoods and sea minerals that all work synergistically and are clinically proven to promote fresh collagen production. Head to pearlbypowerlive.com and enter Pearl Podcast to receive 20% off your first order. I can't wait for you to join the community and see the results. Now, to clear out some of the confusion in the SPF space, could you talk me through the difference between chemical and physical UV filter sunscreens? Uh, yes. So they basically work very similarly. Um, chemical filters uh, allow you to have you know, more lightweight textures, nicer feel on the skin, generally more hydrating. Mineral filters are often better for people with really sensitive skin or Maybe they have an allergy to chemical filters, although not actually many people have an allergy to chemical filters. Um, and, you know, sometimes they're better. They're, they can be more mattifying. They're generally more whitening. So, you know, if you're a person of colour, even if you're like olive, they're not 
the best option. Uh, that you're probably better off getting a chemical sunscreen. I prefer chemical filters because I just like being hydrated and glowy, and and oftentimes chemical filters will allow that. And I like things to sink into my skin and feel nice. So there's really not that much difference in terms of how they work. There's a bit of a misconception that mineral or physical filters reflect the sun's rays. That's not actually how they work. They only reflect a small percentage of sun's rays. And for the rest of it, I think it's between 5 and 10%. Um, and for the rest of it, it absorbs just like chemical. Mm, so interesting. Filters. And then there's quite a debate around reef safe SPF. How do you and the ultraviolet team approach sensitive issues like this with customers? Um, it's actually, that's a really tricky one for us because there's a lot of loud people who believe that sunscreens are damaging reefs and that's actually not true. If you talk to, you know, many leading coral scientists in the world, they'll tell you, in fact, the leading coral scientists in the world will tell you that the sunscreen, I'm not verbatim, but I'm pretty sure very close to this, will tell you that sunscreen is at a number of 200 of the things that are impacting the, the reefs. It's a really easy scapegoat for governments to be able to turn around and say, you know, sunscreen's causing this damage. Um, let's just ban sunscreen rather than addressing what actually is causing um, reef damage, which is, you know, um, climate change, raise, raise, uh, rising water temperatures, um, you know, damage to um, marine eco life. You know, it's not sunscreen, it's climate change. So um, I hate, you know, reef safety, reef safe is often, it's just a marketing term, to be honest. Hawaii have banned filters, but I think a couple of one other island, I'm not sure exactly which ones, they have banned a couple of filters that one of which we don't use at all in any of our sunscreens and not from a reef safety point of view. The other thing I do say, the simplest answer that I give is that our sunscreens are reef safe because they're not actually meant to be worn in the water. We're not, you know, how often are you actually in a in a in a an ocean swimming near a reef? Like very rarely. Our sunscreens are designed to be used every day under makeup as a part of your like day-to-day life. Not, they're not water resistant. And we intentionally did that as well because there's a very different sunscreen. You get a very different sunscreen that's water resistant versus one that actually that isn't because most of the time you're not wearing sunscreen. Like unless, you, you know, as I said, we go, we go at sunscreen from the angle of everyday protection as a part of your life and your skincare and makeup and beauty routine, not so much holidays, swimming, active. That's not our positioning. So I say, yep, ours are reef safe because you shouldn't wear them in the water because then they're not water resistant. So wear something else. And that's an easy out of that conversation. Yes. yes. But I, I really, it's very complicated and I, I, it's fear mongering and part of that whole clean thing that I just really disagree with. And it's so confusing, I think, for consumers as well. And clean beauty is a whole oh, other. People, you know, people want to do the right thing. They think, you know, this is one thing I can do by choosing a reef safe sunscreen. But the reality is it's a marketing term and people are using it to sell more product. So, and it doesn't actually, you know, there's, there's as much proof, there's as much damage done by zinc oxide in those really controlled tests that they do that, that there is, you know, by oxybenzone. So, any, you know, if they're looking at those tests, um, which are done in controlled environments and nowhere near, like not replicated in terms of size and the scale of like an actual ocean, um, they, you know, th- there's as much damage. And I say that in inverted commas from a zinc as there is another chemical filter. So people are just demonizing chemical filters for absolutely no reason. Mm. I mean, talk to me 
zinc is a clear, and this will never happen, zinc's a white part, like zinc's a white powder. But, you know, when they can make a clear zinc and a black person can wear a zinc oxide, then let's talk about how good zinc is because until then it's like pretty unfair conversation. Yes, I agree because I'm even so fair and I find zinc is whitening on me and I'm I have such fair skin, so I can't. It's just not everyone can use zinc when it it's is so. The answer. It's not the answer, exactly, and it's not. It's not the sunscreen answer, and you know I don't like zinc formulas. I just don't. I don't even like our zinc formula that much. I understand that there's a reason that we needed to make it, and you know people were asking for it, but I don't wear it. Yeah, I understand. They're too thick. Like, like I just don't enjoy I, the feel yeah. on my skin. Yeah, yeah. Like it's the best zinc that I've tried, but I still will always wear queen screen. And then now I know in my early and mid-20s, I was all over the place with SPF, my skincare regime and trialing every product yeah. under the sun. What is one piece yeah. of beauty advice you would share with your younger self? My younger self, I would probably, you know, I w- would have liked to have gotten into a routine. Like I was, I feel like I was trying, as you said, like bits and bobs. And especially when I got to Mecca, I was trying bits and bobs and I really impaired my skincare, uh, my skin barrier. And came out with like really bad dermatitis for a while because I was just like kind of picking and choosing and using whatever was given to me or whatever I got from, was able to get from the PR team for free. I would say like stick to a routine, you know, get your building blocks. Really all you need at the end of the day is a good moisturizer, a good cleanser and a good SPF. You know, acids are great and people like the way they feel and the way their skin looks after. But, you know, if you're going to start doing something that's really hardcore, like do it under the advice of like an esthetician or a dermal therapist or something but I would say like get into a consistent routine use it you know use it every day wear SPF every day and try not to like strip your skin I think you know I think we're definitely of the age where you know I had a pimple or whatever I would use like a really like alcoholy toner then a pimple cream that was full of like alcohol and I would really strip my skin rather than nourishing it and hydrating it so I would say be careful of like over exfoliating and 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 just keep it simple. Yes, I agree. I used to use those Dr. Dennis Gross peel pads, which I think were an incredible product, but I just would use them yeah. so often and then use like P50 yeah. by Biologic Research and just be using so many different things. And I feel like my skin layer yeah. was like the like the thickness of a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Ex- exactly. Yeah, which is easy Same. to do. So it's, yeah, it's just important, I think, to pair it back. Yeah, 100%. Wonderful. And then, so as a successful entrepreneur in the beauty space, what would your advice be for any young females or males wanting to launch their own venture? My advice would be, I mean, I've got a couple of pieces. First would be like, is your product actually solving a gap in the market? I feel like there are so many people, especially at the moment, and this goes like, this is normal people and celebrities. Like they're seeing that beauty is having a boom. People can make money out of it. And so they're creating brand. Um, And it feels really transparent it feels a bit yucky and it feels very much like just a money-making exercise so I would say like especially if it's in the beauty space like really consider is this something that people will want and need um and you know really think about what makes your brand product whatever it is different and that's a good exercise for anyone whether in beauty or not um and I would do you know and to that I would say spend you know, do the work in terms of 
um, figuring out, you know, A, what makes your brand special, how much money you think you're going to need, what skill set you're bringing, where you might need to identify people, whether it's co-founders or, you know, hiring, um, where do you need help in terms of expertise and skill set? You, you kind of definitely need to do the work in, in looking at, at yourself and your weaknesses and strengths and then kind of hiring or, as I said, either hiring or um, finding co-founders um, to help fill the gaps because not one person isn't going to be good at everything and you can be really strong in brand and creative and marketing and really bad at, you know, operations and that's fine. Like you're not going to be good at everything but you, you need someone who is good in operations to help run a business because you can't or you need a really good accountant or you need some sort of really good advice to help you so you like don't expect you have to do everything yourself um and and really spend like time thinking about what you will need to run that business and what you will need to start that business and even down to like how much money will I need um because if you don't have it you're gonna have to find it from someone and you're gonna need to either pitch your idea yeah, you'll, you'll need to pitch your idea and, and um, you know, get someone on board to help or get a bank or whatever it is, a family member, an investor, whatever it is. If you don't have that money, you're going to need to get it from somewhere. So, um, and then lastly, I guess, you know, if, you, if you've done all of that work and it's not just like I woke up today and decided I wanted to start a shoe brand, if you've done the work and you've done the, the due diligence, I guess, like go for it. Just, you know, don't let fear hold you back. I think a lot of people get scared about doing something like starting your own brand and it, it can be really scary it's also really exciting and there's a lot of upside so if you're kind of kind of a risk adverse person you know after you've done the amount of work that you know if you've done a solid business plan if you fail like just get back up again and I think just take it <laughs> but taking the charts I think is really important but also just having products with purpose as you as you said, I think that's just so, so important in the world because it is obviously the beauty industry is so convoluted as, as it is. And I think just having products yeah. with purpose that actually fill a gap in the market and they and it's something that you don't have yourself and that you can really recognize, then I think that's definitely yeah. the most important piece. Yeah, products with purpose, it's a great way to say it. Like I just think, you know, no one needs another face mask. Yeah. No one needs another, I don't know. But, you know, I think just think about what you're doing and if you – if you genuinely genuinely think there is a gap in the market and you've done a business plan, you've got the money, like got a bit of a safety net, then do it. The worst thing that's going to happen is that you, you know, will fail, but there'll be learnings in that too. Yeah, which you can pass on to the next project. Great advice. Exactly. And then so now to end on a little quick SPF skin lesson, let's do a quick fire okay. of the SPFs that you recommend. So for oily or combination skins, what SPF for ultraviolet would you recommend? Oily or combo, I would say either clean or lean screen. Um, clean is probably best if you're acne prone, whereas if you're kind of oily, um, our most mattifying is is lean screen, which is a zinc only option. And it's they're both fragrance free. So if you're sensitive or if you've got kind of like any skin inflammation, both of those are a great option. But as I said, clean is a little bit more lightweight. Well, it's actually a lot more lightweight. It's more of a gel consistency. So people who are acne prone, generally I find people who are acne prone don't necessarily like to the feeling of like lots of things on their skin. That's probably the best option. So clean or lean. And then so for yep. dry or sensitive skin? Dry or sensitive, dry definitely either Queen or Supreme. Supreme is the most hydrating, 
they both have fragrance. So if you're sensitive to fragrance, again, I would probably try clean because it's not as mattifying as the zinc, our zinc option, which is lean. So clean is is probably your best bet if you're super sensitive, but you're like, if you're a little bit dry, you're probably fine. If you're super dry, you probably want to go with queen screen or, or supreme screen. They are our most hydrating options. They are also the ones that leave your skin feeling like, I guess, the most hydrated and, and dewy. Both of those have fragrance, small amount, but they use, we use the most, uh, I guess, the most recent low irritant filters, UV filters. So people who are typically, um, you know, they're prone to rosacea or whatever. I've had so many emails from people who are like, oh, I did not think this would work for my skin because there's fragrance in it, but like they love it and it works for them. Great. So that's Supreme and Queen. And then for the clean beauty lover, it would probably be lean screen because it's zinc. Okay. Um, it's a pure, it's a pure um, zinc formula, and it's fragrance free. Whereas clean is a partial chemical and um, mineral, so that's kind of really good for people, as I said, with acne or who are a little bit sensitive. Okay, but lean. yeah, okay, lean screen for the clean beauty lover. Zinc. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I so appreciate it. It was lovely to connect well, with you. And hopefully we'll be welcoming yeah. you back to Sydney very soon. We'll be released and then we'll be able to catch up for coffee when you're in Sydney, hopefully for your next photo shoot. That was Ava Matthews of Ultraviolet. You can find the brand on Instagram at Ultraviolet and you can follow Ava on Instagram at Ava Matthews with a double T for a laugh and a cocktail recipe in one. And you can shop Ultraviolet at Sephora. Follow us on Instagram at par-olive or my personal account at Olivia Boyd Smith to see what episodes are coming up next. And if you have a spare moment, please follow, rate and review the podcast. It would truly mean so much. Talk to you soon.